Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Cleveland Indians 7, the Kansas City Royals 3. The Indians come back and take game two of the series. It's a four-game series, so we got a little bit more to go to win the series, but a great start against the now tied for first place Kansas City Royals. Tied with the White Sox with the Indians a game behind. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And uh, boy, if uh, Angel Hernandez is an umpire on the field, it is not that enjoyable to watch the game being played anymore, is it? How does MLB not do something about this guy? But anyways, we will get into the umpires and their terrible game. Uh, to kick things off, we have a phone call. We have on the Anchor app, you can call into the show. The link is there in every episode description. Um, no matter what app you're listening on, just click that link in the episode description, and it gives you a chance to call in and leave a voicemail for the show. And friend of the show, Steve over in the UK, called in and left us a message. So let's take a listen to what Steve had to say, and then I'll respond to his thoughts. Hi, Davey. I hope you're well. Uh, this is Steve over in the UK. Uh, I'm a huge Indians fan. And in fact, uh, there's actually quite a large, uh, passionate Indians fan base over here in the UK. So uh, a big hello to you and all Trav fans over the pond. I hope you're all keeping well. Uh, I just want to say that I really enjoy listening to your podcasts. I think they're informative, really good fun. And I think I'll learn something every time I listen in. So thanks for what you're doing. Cheers. Uh, back in April, we had a bit of a Twitter conversation, and although you admitted you didn't like to commit to long forecasting, I did get you to commit to a win-loss ratio for the Indians for this season at the time, and you suggested a 70-win season. Um, my question to you is this, given recent performances, uh, roster moves and so on, uh, do you consider 70 wins now to be a touch conservative? Cheers. All right, Steve, thank you so much for calling in and you know participating, being part of the show. I want the show to be open to all fans. So if you have thoughts, email at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. You know you can hit me up on Twitter, and you can call in too. So thank you, Steve, for joining us on the show. And I'm glad that there's such a big fan base over there in the UK. I, I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it a little bit. And uh, I'm excited to continue connecting with the fans over there. And really, we get fans from all around the world listening to the show, which blows me away. And I'm more than honored that, uh, you know, you spend your mornings or afternoons, whatever it is, with me listening and talking baseball. Uh, yes, Steve, you did. You absolutely got me to commit earlier in the season to a projection. If I remember correctly, the way that exchange went, I said the way the team is playing right now feels like a 70-win team. Which, yeah, there were some struggles in April. There were some real struggles in April. And it felt like uh, it felt like I just we, our offense was never going to be able to compete. Now, if you look around baseball, nobody's offense is really competing. I mean, hitting is down across the board uh, all across baseball. So, yeah, now after wins against the Minnesota Twins, wins in the series against the uh, Chicago White Sox, and now at least off to a split, if not a win, against the Kansas City Royals. I am feeling better. I am feeling a little bit better. I don't love doing long-term forecasts still because, uh, you know, 
any everything it changes every day the baseball is that's why it's a marathon not a sprint all the cliches so much can change over a two-week period over a month-long period we've seen what win streaks we've seen what multi-game win streaks can do to a season you can have a very average season and then an incredibly hot august and next thing you know you're the toast of the town and winning the division so Right now, I got to say, the Indians record right now sits at 15 and 13. I got to say this feels like an 85-win team right now, maybe right around there. You know, this definitely feels like an above 500 team. We still have the pitching to be an above 500 team. The question is, will the offense come through enough and will the offense kind of gel and find their groove to push us into the 85s, 86, up to 90 win team that we're probably going to have to be to compete for this division. Right now, the middle of our lineup has been pretty pretty good, pretty powerful over the last week or so, right? I mean, people are incredibly afraid to pitch to Jose Ramirez. They're afraid to pitch to Fermio Reyes. Uh, If Eddie Rosario heats up a little bit, Josh Naylor, Harold Ramirez has been a revelation, and we will get into that. Um, so, yeah, the middle of our lineup feels pretty pretty strong right now. I, I don't know many pitchers that's going to want to go through that heart of the order many times. So, yeah, so I think right now, right now, based on May 5th, they feel like an 85-win team, which is, is pretty good at the, you know, at the start of the season. That's a good feeling to have. So, Steve, thank you so much. Cheers to you. Really appreciate the call, and I hope you keep enjoying the show. All right, let's get into the storylines. Let's get into it. And uh, the big storyline yesterday, for some of you, it was the umpires. But before the umpires, the big storyline is that the Indians went with an opener. Now, Sam Henches was scheduled to be the starter. But Francona and, you know, the rest of the coaching staff decided that the best way to set him up for success is if he would face the middle to bottom of the lineup multiple times as opposed to facing the top of the order multiple times. So they decide that they're going to go with an opener in Phil Maiden, who's never opened before but has been an effective you know, relief pitcher for us so far this season. Um, his ERA isn't spectacular in eight appearances. Uh, if Fangraphs is updated, and I guess I could just go to the box score of the game. But yeah, he's got a 450 ERA, uh, so not not spectacular, not not you know. But uh, Phil Maiden has been a somewhat reliable reliever for us recently, and so yeah, so he gets the open. Now the goal for this would be to get through the top of the lineup and then set Sam Henches up probably in the second inning, to come in and uh, get to work. Well, he does get through the first. After walking Whit Merrifield on four pitches, which looked really bad, re- I mean, at that point, you're thinking, okay, this guy should not be opening the game. He comes back, strikes out Benatendi, gets Santana to pop up, and strikes out Salvador Perez. So he has to work a little bit. I think he was only in the teens when it comes to pitches, I think like 15 or 16 pitches in the first inning. But... Makes a clean first inning. Okay, 
Hedges is set up for success. This is where Terry Francona screws up. He decides to leave Maiden out there, figures, okay, he's got a few more pitches in him. Let me see how far Maiden can go before I bring in Henches. He strikes out Jorge Soler, but then gives up a double to Hunter Dozier and then uh, a single to Michael Taylor. So now the Indians are down one nothing. Now a runner is on base, and then he goes to the bullpen and brings in Henches. This is not what you want. Michael Taylor, who he comes in to face, or I'm sorry, Hanser Alberto, who he comes in to face, is the eighth hitter in the lineup, which means they are about to turn the lineup over, which means he's going to be going again against the top of the lineup, which is what you were trying to avoid. Now, instead of getting the middle to bottom of the order multiple times, he's going to get the top of the order multiple times. And he does end up facing the top of the order twice in this game. So he comes in, though, he's after a wild pitch. Uh, I think the first pitch was a wild pitch, which moves Michael Taylor up to second. He does strike out Hanser Alberto, and he gets Nicky Lopez to fly out to get out of it. So he's able to get out of it, but not really set up for success. And now he's got to start the third against the top of the lineup. And uh, he somehow somehow survives this one. He gives up a single to Whit Merrifield, gives up a single to Ben Attendee. They do a double steal on him, a double steal, take both bases. Uh, uh, This is where Hedges, Hedges, the catcher, this is where it gets tough. Hench is throwing to Hedges. Everybody had jokes last night on Twitter. Uh, Can't really get the ball out of his glove. It was really bizarre because I know... Hedges loves throwing guys out. He loves when people challenge him, challenge his defense. He just couldn't get the ball out of his glove, it seemed like. So they pull off the double steal. Now Hedges is in a real tough spot. He gets Carlos Santana to ground back to him, to ground right back to him, which was pretty impressive. Then uh, he does give up another run here. Salvador Perez, Salvador Perez, uh, was seeing the ball very well off Henches. He singles, brings in Whit Merrifield to score. Benatendi goes to third. He then bears down, gets Jorge Soler called out on strikes. He walks Hunter Dozier, so loads the bases. After a mound visit, Michael Taylor flies out to Josh Naylor in right to end the threat. So he really, really has to fight through this third inning and has to fight through the top and the heart of the order for the Kansas City Royals but he gets out of it. He pitches a decent fourth, but then in the fifth, he's facing the heart of the order again. He faces Salvador Perez, and Salvador Perez hits a 114.2 mile per hour bomb, 460 feet, splashes down in the fountains out there in left center field, and uh, now they are up 3-0, and at that point, did he come out of the game at that point, or did he get another batter or two? Uh, After Dozier doubles, so he gets Soler to fly out. Dozier doubles. Man, Dozier kills the Indians. Then they bring in Sandlin, and he strikes out Michael Taylor to end the fifth. So that's your day for for Sam Henches. Not how he planned on that going. I mean, it's not a terrible... It's not a terrible start for a guy who was on a bit of a pitch count. I think 
I think they wanted to keep him like under 75 pitches. He ends up throwing 63 pitches. Now, he only throws 33 for strikes, which is that's not a good ratio. You've got to pound the strike zone a little more than that in major leagues. Sandlin, who comes in after him, on 18 pitches, throws 14 strikes. So that is how you pound the strike zone in the major leagues. But, yeah, uh, between Mayton and Henches, it would be four and two-thirds, eight hits, three runs, three walks, and five strikeouts. It's not a great start. I mean, three runs, you have to go six innings and three runs, which would be a quality start. So at five and two-thirds and three runs, eh, I'm sorry, four and two-thirds, four and two-thirds. That's right. That's not close to a quality start there. That's, unfortunately, the opener-starter combo did not get it done for the Indians. We'll see the next time this comes around, because I don't think Henches is going anywhere, but the next time this comes around, do they mess around with this opener? If they do, do they let Henches start a clean second inning like he was supposed to do? I think Francona screwed up here and put Henches in a bad spot. Uh, looking at the pitches for Henches, the, going over to the player breakdown here on Baseball Savant, he uh, he only had a 16% CSW on the day. The curveball was effective. He did get six strike called strikes on his curveball. All right, ready for this? So he throws 37 fastballs. He throws 16 curveballs and 10 sliders. So 26 breaking balls. 37 fastballs. He only, They only swung. The Royals only swung five times on his breaking stuff. On 26 pitches, they only swing five times. On his fastball, 37 uh, fastballs, they swing 19 times. And they have zero whiffs. Zero whiffs on 19 swings on his fastball. They fouled it off seven times, and they put 12 of his fastballs in play. If you don't think the Royals had a plan yesterday against Sam Henches, look at these numbers and you'll know exactly what their plan is. They sat down, said, look, don't even bother swinging at the breaking stuff. You sit fastball and when you see it, you let it rip. And it worked for them last night. It was a, an effective strategy. I mean, Henches was not going to last much longer in the game the way he was getting hit around. He gives up six hits. Uh, he gives up a bomb. He gives up some doubles, you know? So, uh, yeah, that was the plan against Henches. So now he has to make the adjustment. He has to make the adjustment, whether it's his fastball location. And we could take a look at where his fastball location was. Uh, let's go over to the Illustrator. And uh, it was all over. He was really spreading the fastball around. He was spreading the curveball around, too. Um yeah, he's going high with the fastball. He's going low with the fastball, in and out with the fastball. So that's good, uh, but they just had a plan. So he's going to have to sit down with Carl Willis and Ruben Nieble and say, okay, how do I keep them off my fastball? So, again, something to pay attention to moving forward for Henches. All right, so that's the storyline. The rest of the bullpen actually does a great job. Sandlin goes an inning in a third uh, gives up nothing. Wickering goes a clean inning in, in the uh, seventh, and Quantrill goes two innings, the eighth and the ninth, does allow a few base runners, gets two strikeouts, and pitches a, you know gives up no runs. So yeah, for two innings for Quantrill at the end of the bullpen. In fact, in fact, 
Uh, do you know who is the leader in innings pitched out of the Indians bullpen? It's not Karen Check. It's not Ryan Shaw. It's Cal Quintrill. 16 innings pitch. If Fangraphs is updated from yesterday, Quantrill is up to 16 innings pitch for the Cleveland Indians. Classe is next at 13 and a third, then Karachek at 13, Shaw at 12 and a third, and actually Trevor Steffen at 10 and two thirds innings. Um, and looking at MLB, yes, yeah, 16 innings. So this is updated numbers from last night. So yeah, that was our first storyline. The second storyline is the umpires suck. I mean, the strike zone was horribly inconsistent last night. Then you have this play in the third inning. So Salvador Perez hits a deep fly ball to right center field. It gets lost in the LED boards that are ridiculously bright out there in right center field, the away scoreboard. And it looks like Harold Ramirez is going to catch the ball. It looks like he's got it. I don't know if he kind of... um, you know, short arms it because he sees Naylor or if he shorts arm it because he feels that wall, feels the glow of the LED wall bearing down on him. But he kind of short arms the ball and it bounces off the warning track, but right into Josh Naylor's hands, which from the infield could look like Naylor caught the ball. Honestly, at first glance on TV, it looked like uh, it looked like Harold Ramirez caught the ball and flipped the ball to Naylor somehow and Naylor you know had it in his hand and throws it back in Whit Merrifield tags from third no matter what comes in to score Salvador Perez stops at first Ben Attendee is going to third but the third base coach is waving him back because he doesn't tag up he doesn't call back Whit Merrifield because whether the ball is caught or not Merrifield tagged up he stayed on third base and tagged up Ben Detendi took his secondary lead, was kind of somewhere in no man's land. He is pretty sure the ball dropped, so he starts for third, but the third base coach is waving him back to second like, dude, you have to tag up. And he gets tagged out going back to second base. Now, here's where the umpires absolutely screw everything up. They tried showing it in replay eventually. It looks like Angel Hernandez from first base raises his arm in a out motion. Angel Hernandez does not make a very bold call, no matter what it is. He just kind of raises his arm nonchalantly. So because he called it out and it was the wrong call, they allowed every base runner to advance a base. Now, there are some crazy, crazy umpire rules, um, you know, in baseball. There are some absolutely insane things you have to know as an umpire when it comes to base runners advancing and staying. And um, I'm not an umpire. I don't know the entire rule book. But for a guy who never even got to third base to be awarded a base uh, when he was heading back to second seems kind of bizarre. And people were blowing up on Twitter, you know, yesterday about it. It's just, it's just absolutely mind-boggling that you would make a call when you're completely unsure about what happened like it's it's the kind of thing they say in football where it's like take the whistle out of your mouth let the play unfold and then if you need to go back and review it you can go back and review it why this wasn't reviewable I, I don't it was more a question of the umpire screwing up than whether the ball was caught or not I think everybody figured out the ball wasn't caught but 
Angel Hernandez screwed up the call, so therefore the runners all advance. Now, in the end, it does not hurt the Indians because what we're about to talk about next is the Indians storming back and winning this game. But it could have. It absolutely could have, and it will. Angel Hernandez will cost someone a game. He's supposed to be the home plate umpire tonight for Shane Bieber pitching, which, oh, my God, I'm just imagining the fight. So someone's going to get thrown out of this series because of Angel Hernandez, not because of the Royals and not because of the Indians, because of the umpiring, someone is going to get tossed from this game, from uh, this series eventually. So, yeah, that was the second storyline, and uh, I'm sure you were all confused. You're probably confused by my explanation. It was a really, really uh, strange and bizarre, hey, every time you go to the ballpark, you're going to see something you've never seen before. All right, the last storyline was the Indians' offense because eventually the Indians' offense comes to life, and it was in the sixth inning. So Miner is still in there pitching in the sixth inning, and uh, he gets Austin Hedges to line out, but then Cesar Hernandez doubles down the left field line. I love seeing swings like this from Cesar Hernandez. I am telling you, this guy is waking up. He is going to. The batting average still doesn't look great. It's still under 200. But this guy is going to wake up, and he's going to start racking up the doubles. Uh, Jordan Luplo walks behind him, and then Jose Ramirez, here comes Angel Hernandez again. Jose Ramirez hits a dribbler, a chopper, I would say, to third base. The third baseman for the Royals, who was playing third base yesterday? Uh, it was Alberto. Charges in. Looks like he has a hard time getting it out of his glove. Again, that rears its ugly head. And uh, Jose Ramirez Beats it out down the first baseline. Beats the throw to first base. Angel Hernandez gives, once again, his nonchalant out call. It took him like 40 seconds to review this thing. Everybody in the ballpark knew Jose Ramirez was safe. The guy sitting up in the 500 section at the very top row, wolfing down a plate of nachos, knew that Jose Ramirez was safe. And so eventually, yeah, they get the call right. So now we've got the bases loaded. One out, we've got Fermil Reyes up there, and he gets into a battle uh, with the relief pitcher. They go to the bullpen at this point, and they bring in Greg Holland. And Fermil Reyes is able to fight off an inside pitch and hit a screaming chopper. I mean, it was 87.5 miles per hour, but a chopper at Nicky Lopez at shortstop. Nicky Lopez tries to backhand it. I'm guessing there are not many Little League coaches and travel ball coaches who would be okay with their shortstop trying to backhand a ball like this. you got to get your body in front of it. I know it's tough. You're probably going to, to be honest, you're probably going to take that ball in uh, the upper thigh uh, or in the belly. Uh, You're going to use your body to knock it down, but a chop like that, you got to get in front because backhanding it is almost impossible. And only at an expected batting average of 0.50, I would say that's accurate if the shortstop gets in front of the ball. A shortstop trying to backhand that ball, I'd say that's got an expecting batting average of at least three or 400. And uh, that's what Nicky Lopez do. He can't, com- he can't come up with it. And two runs come in to score, including Jose Ramirez, who gets the third base. So for Mil Reyes... The fielding error, it brings in two runs, and now suddenly there is life for the Cleveland Indians. In honor of Les Levine uh, and his How Come Quickies, one of his classic How Come Quickies was How Come the Last Hop is Always the Worst Hop. 
right? How many times have you seen a ball bouncing out to an infielder and that last hop right before it gets to him does something crazy? That's what Nicky Lopez had to deal with last night. I love it. I love the how come quickies. How come the last hop is always the bad one? All right. Uh, that brings up Harold Ramirez. And Harold Ramirez singles a beautiful line shot through the gap on the left side. It brings in Jose Ramirez to score. And now the Indians have tied this ball game. All three runs get credited to minor. So the Royals bullpen saves their ERA a little bit, but we know. We know that those runs belong to the Royals bullpen. And that's our final storyline. It's the Indians offense versus the Royals bullpen. Because the Royals bullpen is absolutely getting destroyed. They gave up those runs that get credited to minor. But those are inherited runners that Greg Holland let score. He actually gets a blown save. So that's six, seven runs. All seven runs are credited to the Royals bullpen, in my opinion. And after the night before, a bunch of runs were credited to the Royals bullpen in that one, too. So the Royals bullpen is really getting destroyed by Indians pitching. I believe the runs are go to Lynch, right? On the box score, the runs are Lynch. But I believe those were inherited runners that Barlow let score. So I believe seven of the eight runs that scored last two nights ago were also credited to the Royals bullpen. So they are really, really getting beat up by the Indians. The Indians offense comes alive again in the uh, in the eighth inning. They put up uh, four runs in the eighth inning. Fermil Reyes walks. Harold Ramirez doubles down the right field line. Another beautiful shot from Harold Ramirez. That brings Fermil Reyes into score. That, by the way, if you're paying attention, means that Harold Ramirez drove in the tying run and the go-ahead run last night. Uh, Josh Naylor singles to bring in Harold Ramirez. Josh Naylor fights off an inside pitch and beats the shift. They'd shifted around for him. There was only one fielder on the left side of the infield, and he's able to shoot it through in the left field. Not a hard hit ball, but in the right spot. Uh, only a 74.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Only a 210 expected batting average. Not when there's no infielder there. When there's no infielder, that's a 1,000 expected batting average. Uh, and then Jake Bowers. Jake Bowers. This is bad from Jake Bowers in the eighth inning. I want to go to the matchup here and take a deep dive into this at bat for Jake Bowers against Tyler Zuber. Apparently, the only pitch Zuber knows how to throw against Jake Bowers is the fastball. What Did Zuber throw anything else last night? Okay, he threw 15 fastballs, two changeups, and two sliders. But not against Jake Bowers. Against Jake Bowers, it was all fastballs. So he throws him the first one way outside for a ball, throws him the next one high for a ball two. All right, now he's got to put one in the zone, and Jake Bowers is swinging. Puts one right down the pipe, follows it off. Follows it up with another fastball right down the pipe, almost identical location, foul tips it. Throws him a fifth fastball. This one actually higher than the last two, but right down the pipe, and he hits it 104.7, 424 feet for a two-run home run. I got to be honest, when Jake Bowers hits a home run, it looks good. He's He does have a good home run swing. I mean, lots of guys look good when they hit home runs, but Jake Bowers does have a pretty good home run swing. And man, when you see three fastballs down the pipe in a row and you just foul the last two off, 
You better hit that third one for a home run. I mean, Zuber was almost begging him, almost begging him at this point to hit a home run off of him. I don't know why he did not go to one breaking pitch, especially when he got the count back to 2-2. Maybe he was trying to go high fastball there and just left it in the zone, but uh, whatever the plan was from Zuber there, it was not a good plan. Not a good plan. So yeah, that is Bauer's home run. Is it the first home run from an Indian's first baseman all season? Uh, it kind of feels like that, right? I don't think Chang... I know Chang had a double or two, but I don't think Chang... Had, nope, doesn't have a home run yet. And that was Bauer's first home run on the season. So unless Josh Naylor hit a home run while he was playing first base, which I don't have memory of, I believe that is the first home run from an Indian's first baseman. You know, that position of power, that typical position of power on the team. All right, so that's our final storyline. MVP for the day is going to Harold Ramirez. Two for four, two RBIs, uh, a run scored, the double for Harold Ramirez. He's got a, I mean, it's only two games, but he's hitting 444 right now. He has to be in the lineup every day. He, this guy absolutely has to be in the lineup every day. You heard him say it a bunch of times on the broadcast, you know, in 2019 or something or 2020, he was the, he was the opening day cleanup hitter for the Miami Marlins. He's dealt with injuries. This guy absolutely has to be in the lineup every day. We'll do more of a deep dive on Harold Ramirez, who he is, how he got here, uh, probably in a future episode. We're already going long on this episode. So I'm going to wrap it up right there. Tomorrow, we've got Shane Bieber going up against Singer for the Royals. Singer is only 1-3 on the season with a 3.09 ERA, but he is definitely supposed to be the future of Royals pitching. So we'll see. He's going up against our ace, Shane Bieber. And then on the day game on Thursday, on the getaway day, Tristan McKenzie is getting another start against Danny Duffy, who's pitching out of his mind right now. 4-1 with a 0.60 ERA. So yeah, that's what's coming up. But Bieber versus Singer. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. Thanks for joining me again on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so just like Steve in the UK did, if you want to call into the show, go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings. You can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.